Welcome to episode 252 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week my guest is Suzanne McCurdy. Suzanne started looking into the military later in life. She was 26 when she joined ROTC and then commissioned two years later at the age of 28. Because of this, she often became the mother hen of the group and was entrusted with the responsibility of taking care of others. She ended up leaving the military after marrying her husband, who is a warrant officer in the Army, and she struggled in her transition, but she has found purpose again through her work at Instant Teams. I really enjoyed getting to hear her story, not only about her time in the military, but how she decided to leave the military and the discussion she had with her husband and deciding which one of them would get out. And I really hope you enjoy this interview. And before we get started, I want to remind you that you can always listen to Women of the Military podcast on Wreaths Across America Radio on Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. And you can listen on iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, or Odyssey. And with that out of the way, let's get started with this week's interview. So thanks so much for being here, and I'm so excited to hear about your story. Same, same. Thank you so much. I've I've followed all you're doing for a long time, and it's it's so important that we all share and come together. And it's something that I think, uh, I feel like we failed to do, especially when I was in service um, to really connect. Yeah. I think we forget how important it is because we're so busy, like doing all the things and then we get out and we start our lives and we forget, you know, so it, it makes a lot of sense, but let's start with your story of why did you decide to join the military? So um, I definitely didn't have a traditional route, so to speak. Um, I was 26, never thought that I would join the military uh, ever, but uh, I was working at a bank and I was head teller. Um, I had maybe like two years of college under my belt at that time. I really had no idea what I wanted to do. And the owner of the bank, it was a small town bank, offered me my own branch opening a new branch and I want you to run it. And I could not bring myself to take that role. I felt like I was committing myself to that job for the rest of my life. And I, I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I felt like, you know, where can I find a career where my job will have meaning every day? And I had there's, I have 21 cousins and 11 of them were active duty. So I knew about the Air Force. Um, and so I quit my job there and I went and worked part-time at Sonic and I went back to school and then I went to Air Force ROTC and commissioned when I was 28. But I, I just felt like I needed a job and a career where I felt like every single day I was working to make a difference in the world. Uh, and the military just really fit for me. So that's, that's where that came about. Yeah, that is a very different story. I loved hearing that you were so much older and then you were like, ah, uh, this is not what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. I need to find something else. And that led you to the military. So when you went to ROTC, did you just, you said you were 26. Is that when you started looking into ROTC and then you just did two years of school and commission? How did that all work? Yeah. So I went to, um, I was in Dallas, Texas area at that time. Uh, so I went and I found an Air Force ROTC and, you know, everybody has a story, right? Where they were going to join one branch, but that recruiter was at lunch and they ended up getting taken up by this other branch. And truthfully, it came down to the schools that were closest to me geographically had Air Force ROTC. And so uh, I went in and talked to the commander there and said, hey, here's what I want to do. Can I do it? Uh, can you take somebody who is is at their later years in, in school and finishing these up? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So I had to fast track some things. And I feel like I got, I, I want to say very lucky because I had not prepared to take any test. I had not prepared. I didn't know I had to do any of these, but to go to field training which is the training between your sophomore and junior year, all ROT uh, cadets have to complete those 28 days. It's, it's like our basic training. But to even do that, 
you had to, you know, pass these, uh, these exams to even be a part of the Air Force. And so he's like, well, we have one this Saturday. Are you ready to take it? And I thought, nope, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Luckily, I had no interest in being a pilot. I'm very self-aware that I am not pilot material. <laughs> uh, you need to have a very, I would say, a certain personality to, to be a pilot. My husband's a pilot, and uh, I, can, I can say that I, they're definitely a personality trait. So I passed the test and was able to go to field training that summer. And um, when you come back from that field training, you contract. So you basically are saying like, okay, um, I'm committing to when I graduate, I will join and be active duty. And here's my commitment time. So that's when I, I got back and contracted. So yeah, it was, it was very lucky. I think you do have to do a full two years. Uh, I believe there might be a couple of waivers. Uh, and of course that has changed since I went through. Individuals need to do at least two years of ROTC to then commission. So you did field training before you had done any ROTC. So you were like, like did you know how to march? Like that just seems so. No, crazy. I did. I did. I uh, I guess I came in at like the very end of the semester before. Okay. So I had a little bit, but not very much. Not very much. No, but I tend to be very. You know, sometimes being stubborn can be a great thing because when I set my mind to do something, it's going to happen and um, I will climb over any hurdle that comes my way. So I just said, all right, I'm going to do it. Uh, and and when I got to field training, there were several people. Oh, and because um, one good thing, too, because I hadn't had those previous two years, I had an extra week of academics. So they flew me to Atlanta and there were there was a whole classroom, I want to say at least 200 of us that were there for one week of academics and, and the backgrounds of the military and things of that nature. So I had a group of people who were in the same boat as me and, and they were okay with that. They knew that and you're going to pick it up quick once you're, <laughs> once you're in there. People go to basic training not knowing how to march. So they, uh, they'll throw you in real quick. Wow, that's just a crazy story because I spent you know, the whole sophomore year getting ready for field training. And we did all this marching stuff and drill and like all this crazy stuff. And it's just, I mean, it makes sense that you could do it. It's just kind of like, it's mind blowing to think about because it's so different than the typical experience. So maybe it was better that I had no idea what I was getting into. You know what I mean? Maybe it was just better that they just threw me in. Well, yeah, because there was a lot of pressure on us because we had spent the whole year training to get ready for it. And so we felt a lot of pressure to like do not just get through it, but to do well. And then it was. Yeah. So I think in a way it's kind of better to like not have as high of expectations and just, you know, fly by the seat of your pants and get through it because that's awesome to hear. So then those two years of ROTC after field training, you were contracted getting ready to join the Air Force. And you said something in the beginning, like it was the right place for you. What was the, what were those last two years like? They were phenomenal. You know, again, it was not your traditional um, military member. So I had actually been married previously to somebody in the army and I was in the process of getting a divorce. He became emotionally and like mentally abusive. And, um, at one point my life was threatened. And so I had to leave that relationship, but even being that older cadet and, uh, because of that, everybody was very supportive because I was older. I also had a different relationship with the cadre. The commander pulled me in you know, at the beginning of the semester. He said, you know, I know that you are older. You have more life experience. I'm trusting your eyes. I was the only female in my commissioning class. But, you know, he pulled me in the office and said, I am trusting your eyes and ears a little bit more. I want you to let me know if you see anything that should be reported. Um, you're going to know quicker than, than somebody who's 20 years old. And so I had a much different relationship with the cadre as well, which was great. And of course, I respected them and never took advantage of that. Um, but those last two years were, were just really great because I was just amongst all of these people and we were all just striving not only to be our best 
for ourselves. It wasn't a selfish thing. It was to be the best for each other and to be the best for the entire force, right? So again, it's not a self-serving. And so that just feels great. You're like, I am getting ready to enter this amazing time and I get to embark on this adventure as scary as it is too, right? Because you're waiting to find out what your job is, where where you're going to get stationed and you know you're going to have to move. Um, but everybody was really supportive as well as we were all going through things. It's it's so interesting, you know, and, and I know you know this and most of the listeners know this too, but you form bonds with people. Even in the 28 days that I was in field training, my roommate from field training uh, actually just came and stayed a week with me and her and I stayed in contact every time, you know, everyone goes to Maxwell, who's at Maxwell for a course. And, you know, throughout our careers, we were never stationed together, but we were always there for each other. And we would meet up anytime we are anywhere near one another. And so you just form those bonds that nobody else gets to have. And then the level of confidence that I think we all know comes after you complete any military training is almost euphoric and not everybody gets to experience that. So I always find that something that bonds all of us. Yeah. I mean, my husband, he just promoted this past weekend to Lieutenant Colonel and there was people in the audience who we knew at our first assignment and we actually try and get together once or twice a year because a bunch of us live in the LA area. And it's kind of funny because we have this like really tight bond and we've you know, know, known each other for over 17 years now that the, I think that's how long we've been in the military. And it's just really cool to have that connection, to have people, you know, at your lieutenant colonel promotion who you knew when you were a second lieutenant and just how they're able to come out and support you and cheer you on and, and just have those special friendships through the military, which is so important and a really cool thing. Yeah. Well, congratulations to him. That's exciting. Yeah, it was a fun weekend, but I'm also <laughs> exhausted and I have a bunch of interviews today. This is this is real life. I wasn't thinking about that when I planned all these, but um, but I love getting to talk to you guys and hear your stories so that it makes it fun and easy. But so let's talk. We spent a lot of time on your time in the military, but we got to discover those uh, twists and turns that led you to the military. So let's talk a little bit about your commissioning. What job did you get and where did you go? Yeah, so um, I had gotten a degree in dietetics or nutrition, but ended up, you know, my first commitment was to a first line position. So I ended up in force support. And at that time was right when they were combining, you know, manpower and personnel and everybody all into one career field. So I had no idea what this was about. And then they sent me to Robbins Air Force Base, Georgia. And I was so disappointed. I'm going to be honest. I have family in Atlanta. I had been to Georgia so many times as a kid. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going back to Georgia instead of someplace I had never been. Right. But, you know, again, made friends that I will be friends with forever. I, you know, still to this day, the master sergeant who took me under her wing is just my sister for life love her to no end. And we still are always in contact, you know, but that's the great thing about the military. Even when we get busy, you know, if she were to call me tomorrow and be like, I need you, I'm like, Hey, I'm there. Let's go. What do you need? Anytime. And then just lifelong friends that, you know, we were in each other's weddings. And uh, so I ended up, you know, getting, getting married while I was there in Georgia and meeting my husband who is army and that's something that's interesting that, that we can touch on is being a woman in the military, especially uh, being an officer on a base that doesn't have a lot to offer outside the base. You know what I mean? When I was stationed in Colorado Springs, people just dispersed on the weekends because there were so many places to travel and visit and so many things to do, where if you're in middle Georgia, there's just not as much to do. So you make these really close relationships, but there's only so many women that male officers can date. And I describe it as almost being like the only deer in the forest during the hunting season. I, I, and, and because of my age, I had like colonels calling my office, asking me out and I'm going, 
Um, no, sir, but thank you. you know, this is so awkward. And I'm thinking, are, am I, are you even allowed to date? This is so weird. And so um, my, my friend at the time, we met uh, on base. She was in logistics and we ended up being roommates. We got a house on base. They had just opened up some older units in base housing. And we thought this was great. We can live on base. <laughs> we had a, we had dogs. We called them our wolf pack and we had a fenced yard. It was amazing. Like where, what safer place for two single females to live than, than on base. But we both decided to go on match.com and kind of use that as a filter. I didn't, I'm not a bar person. Um, I'm not a nightlife person. So I'm like, where am I going to meet somebody that I can date? And it's not awkward. And I, I've, I've always mentored other females that your reputation is vital. And still to this day, uh, I recently read the book lessons in chemistry. If you haven't read it, it was great, but Still to this day in 2023, the one thing a man can do to diminish any woman is put her, her reputation into question. And, you know, you don't, as a woman, I, I'm sitting there one day and I hear these guys joking around and he said, yeah, you know, on my last deployment, I just randomly picked some girl and told everyone she was pregnant. And I'm thinking this poor girl did nothing. And you've just admitted that you like spread this rumor about her. And so again, I'm like, I am not dating anybody on this base. This is uncomfortable. So super long story that was not short. <laughs> uh, I met my husband on match.com. He's in the army and he was stationed about two hours away from, from me in Savannah, Georgia. Yeah, I was married when I commissioned. And so I didn't have to deal with like, I, I didn't have to deal with any of that because I was married. So I was like off limits. And I feel really lucky because I hear stories like that. And I'm like, I don't. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine some of the things that women go through, especially, I mean, I interviewed someone when I first started doing interviews and she was overseas in Iraq and would get emails because people would read her name tape, you know, at the DFAC and then send her an email about doing inappropriate things. And it's like so horrible and it's just, yeah, and I didn't experience any of that. And I think part of that was being an officer, but the other part being married, because especially at the base, you know, and like you said, there's only so many women and yeah, especially in a small town. Cause I was at a small base too. I liked when you were talking about how you built those really strong friendships, because when we were in New Mexico, we were in a really small town and there was nothing to do. So we went to each other's houses. We hosted movie nights. We spent a lot of time together here in LA, like we try and get together, but everyone has so much stuff going on and, you know, they just disperse. And it's also harder now that we're older and we don't, we have kids and families. And so it makes it a little bit more difficult, but it is really nice. I think as a lieutenant to be in a really small base, it's kind of like, oh, I don't really want to go there, but they make these really great friendships because there's nothing to do except hang out with all the other lieutenants. True story. True story. And, and that was great because again, you know, we made those friends and, and yeah, we did barbecues. We did trivia night at the local wing stop restaurant type. It was an off the wall place, but, uh, yeah. Uh, Warner Robins has grown. It's just, there's just, there's not a lot to do in middle Georgia and those friendships are forever. We, we all have our little group and I still see those memories pop up and we, I still, uh, keep track of people. And then one of my favorite commanders from my active duty time, she just messaged me. She's like, I'm going to Robbins. Tell me where to live and like where to put my kids in school. So I had to, you know, connect her to a few people. So she, I mean, it's been 10 years since I lived there. I don't know where to live anymore. <laughs> I lived on base. Right. You didn't have kids though. <laughs> true story. True story. That was not a concern then. Yeah, well, that's really cool to hear about how you guys connected and spent time together. And you said your husband, is in, is he still in the Army? Yes, yes. Um, so he is the reason I got out. And I like to talk about this because, and he is still salty because he wanted to get out and follow me around. That's hilarious. <laughs> he did. And, and I do have a very supportive husband, you know, because so often it is the woman who gets out. 
And, you know, he's, he's like, I would get out and follow you around. He has no, I outranked him. He was a warrant officer. I didn't know what warrant officers were when we first met. I had to ask somebody if I was allowed to date a warrant officer, like what's the difference? But our deciding factor, because once we did have kids and let me preface, we spent four years stationed apart. We didn't even live together before we were married. And after we were married, we didn't get to live together for almost another two years. And we didn't have a, a strong family plan. Uh, we, of course, had family members who you know, were willing to help, but should we both get deployed? I didn't know that we had somebody who were, was going to have the energy, you know, even for a six-month Air Force deployment, to take our kids full-time. The deciding factor was that my husband had five more years of service than I did. And so if I had stayed in, we would now be retiring in six years. Whereas now we're going to retire in a little less than two years. Uh, and we're both, we were both joined kind of older. So we're both 43 now. And that was the deciding factor in which one of us was going to, to get out. I like that it wasn't gender-based and that it was like looking at the, like, what's the best for each of us. And the, the time factor is a huge thing, especially because you were a little bit older when you joined. And so you know, a lot of people are retiring from the military at 42, 43, and you still have a few more years to go. And if you were, if you had the six years, you'd have even, you know, longer. And so that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's really cool to hear about how you guys looked at both options and it wasn't just assumed the woman gets out of the military. thousand percent. And that time difference also looking at it, wasn't even, you know, yes, it was absolutely about our age and when we were kind of like wanting to retire from the military, but it was when our children, what were their ages going to be? So, you know, me staying in another, you know, six or seven years at this age was going to put my kids, hey, we're going to have to move for your high school years. And we thought, man, we're going to be done moving before they start middle school and they're not going to have to switch schools. And, and we were both, you know, had the opportunity I graduated with people I went to kindergarten with. So, um, you know, there's just all those factors that you really have to look at. And I don't, I always feel the need and maybe the want to explain that to people. Um, so they, they understand a little bit more uh, about that. And sometimes he's still like, man, we could be living the Air Force life. <laughs> but it's all, it's all working out well at this point too. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a, a big determining factor. We just moved to LA and when we were picking this assignment, we were looking at where we wanted to stay, which I know we're crazy that we want to live in LA, but that's what makes us happy and we're very happy here. But, you know, we're three years away from retiring and we can stay in the LA area. Our kids don't have to move. And it's that was a big driving factor because you know, at 20 years, you can get out of the military, have the retirement. And our family really needed the stability of not moving anymore because as the kids got older, it got harder and harder. And that really resonates with me because my kids are in fifth grade and second grade and, and we've been here over a year. So this is their second year at the school. And they're like, we're going to go to the same middle school with these people that we're going to school with now. And I'm like, yes, and high school. And they just can't quite understand it because that hasn't been their life. It's been move, move, move. And so I think that really resonates in getting out. Yeah, It does. It's, it's, um, it's interesting because I always tell people, you get to decide what landscape you like when you move around as much as we did. And I'll tell you, until... Four years ago, I am a diehard, obnoxious Texan. I love my state. I told my husband, when we got married. We will retire in Texas or we will retire separate. And so it was like, we are going to Dallas. That is where we will retire. But I luckily work remotely. And, and that was even before COVID. And that was a huge saver. And, and we can get into kind of the, the mental aspect when you leave active duty. But um we left Savannah and we technically lived there twice. I mean, even though I was in Robbins, he lived in Savannah. We got married there. He proposed there. My daughter's named after the square he accidentally proposed in. It's a whole story. And then, you know, he was deployed and COVID hit and we were trying to sell our house in Georgia. 
waiting for a house in Tennessee where we're at now. And my uh, family was like, why don't you just come, come to Texas? And I thought, oh my gosh, I can actually just go to Texas. I can work. My kids can go to school there. And so for six months, my kids and I went and lived with my best friend um, down the street from my dad. So they got to see grandma and grandpa every weekend. And I realized I miss Georgia. I miss Savannah. I love the oak trees. I love the Spanish moss. And I thought, oh my gosh, it was almost like having to let go of something that I had held on to for so long. It was so difficult. But now we're, we've decided we're going to retire in Savannah. But, you know, I'll tell you, I do not care for mountains. I am so sorry. I know they're pretty to look at. I don't want to live near mountains. I, I did the Colorado. Yeah, it's not for me. Not for me at all. Tennessee is just fine, but we realized that we need to be close to water. And being in Colorado for a short time, it, it was like, what is bothering me so much? Like, there's no water. I need a water source. I'm, I'm used to being near water. And so you get to choose your landscape and really decide what makes sense for you, you know, and, and where you want to live. And some people don't understand why you want to live there or why you want to live here. I'm like, hey, this is it, man. This is where it's it's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, I never, when we moved to LA, we were like, why are we, the first time that we lived here, I was like, we're not going to enjoy it. We're not going to like it. And then it was our favorite assignment. And so then we moved to Virginia thinking we would love it and we didn't like it at all. And so when it was time to decide where we were going to go, we were like, we really enjoyed LA. Why don't we just go back there? And so we're very happy. It's crazy. A year later, I'm like so happy and I'm so glad we moved here. And Savannah is such a cool city. We've gotten to travel there, mainly when we would drive from Virginia down to Disney World. We'd stop in Savannah. And it's just such a cool city to walk around in, so much history and, you know, the river and all, and the ocean. That's all right there. So I could see that being a very desirable place. Yeah, and we lived on the marsh, right? And so we could even, um, our little neighborhood... Everybody had golf carts. We could take our golf carts around the corner and go catch blue crab. And I love those little things that you can do that don't cost any money. And you don't have to like, you know, if we're in Dallas, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, on the weekends, I don't want to go to Six Flags. I'm, it's, it's too crowded. It's, there's, so I'm like, oh, I love all these like low country things that you can do that are just so simple. And I love being outside in nature. Although, you know, if you're going to live in Savannah, you have to commit to uh, gnats and the humidity. Uh, that's that's just it. I think Frizzies uh, should be the national sponsor of the Southeast. That's good to hear, though, because we're in that. We thought we were going to love Tennessee. And, you know, it's it's not for us. I don't ever want to see snow again in my entire life. I, I, I t Every year when it snows, I tell my kids, enjoy it now ever want to see a snowflake fall again. So let's talk a little bit more about your transition out of the military, because you mentioned you work remotely, and but then you also said something about the mental shift of like being on active duty, and then you became a military spouse, and you know, you your life changed probably in ways you didn't expect. At least that was the way it was for me. <laughs> it, it really did, um, and it was a really hard time on my marriage. My husband was used to his strong, independent, kick-butt wife. And I also was not even a year postpartum. So I feel like I had some postpartum depression and mixed with a depression that I wasn't expecting. Nobody told me that transitioning was going to be hard. But then adding military spouse to my name was shocking to me the difference in treatment. So, you know, for example, during a tap session, there was a career fair on the installation. I'm in uniform talking to these people and everyone's like, we love to hire veterans. And I mean, I, I'm sure some people do, but honestly, I think people just say that because they, uh, they want to say it. Like nobody's going to tell you they hate puppies, right? Uh, they just feel like it's something that they're supposed to say. And so I'm standing there and I'm talking to all these people at this transition fair. And, and all of these men are kind of, you know, asking me questions. They're like, oh, you have young children. Oh, your husband's active duty. Is he going to stay active duty? Yeah. Okay. So you guys are going to move. And then it was just the conversation would flip so quickly. Like, well, why are you working? Why don't you just stay home and raise your kids? And I thought, I'm sorry. Is that your decision to make? Like, I, 
I had always, I, I've worked since I was, you know, 15. I had always stood on my own two feet. And it was just such a kind of gut punch. And then I really became discouraged and thought, okay, well, how am I supposed to work with children? And and I let them influence me, you know, and, and that's just the cold hard truth that I absolutely let them influence me. I gone, I decided to go reserves. And at the uh, academy, I was able to go on to man days. And so I was reservist, but I was working on active duty orders. And then my husband got orders to move. And I was like, well, there go my orders. And there were no Air Force bases near Hunter Army Airfield unless I wanted to try to, you know, commute and live in, in Robbins and, and go back and forth should I be able to get on man days there. And so that's when I was like, well, this this is this is tough. So you know, I, I got out and um, we're in in the Savannah area and I've got these two little kids and, you know, I, I had all this experience and um, I had my degree and I thought, okay, and I, I didn't really want to work in nutrition. I wanted to be a little closer to home and to do that was going to require some crazy hours. My husband's a pilot. He flies nights. I don't have that option. People were offering me jobs, you know, well, you can answer phones for $10 an hour and I thought, okay, well, I mean, I'll take something because I'm just eager to work and have something to do with my time. And of course, I dabbled in the MLMs, just like, what can I do to make money, but still be here for my family? And I was, I was, I went through a deep depression for sure. And just like, what do I do now? So then I poured myself into working out, right? And running races um, and, and working as much as I could, but we were, I was working just to pay for childcare. That was frustrating for us to be on, on one income. And, you know, nowadays it really takes two incomes for the most part. Um, and, and I felt like I had lost my identity. I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't know how to behave. The first time I had to dress myself for work, I about had a nervous breakdown. I'm not much of a girly girl. I don't like dresses and high heels. That's another reason I love the military, right? Like do not want to, to do that. So that was really tough. I found out about the company I'm with now and they had a scholarship for business development. I had no idea what business development was, but it turns out my stubborn pain in the butt personality was perfect for business development. It's, it's driving the revenue to the company. So basically business to business sales. But even when I transitioned into that, I was still searching for a title and it wasn't like I ever ran around like I'm major so-and-so and, and it, you know, that was never, that was never me. I took being a leader as taking care of people and that was that. But when you do have a rank and a position, you walk into a room and already people understand how much you know, how much you can contribute and they listen to you. So here I am walking into these civilian sectors and people don't care. And I'm like, you guys are doing this wrong. In my head, I'm, go I'm like, you guys are doing this wrong. Like, why is nobody listening to me? This is not the way this should be run. But it wasn't my place. And that was really hard for me to accept. And so it took a while and it took therapy and um, really realizing all the things from the military that I had compartmentalized. And I had to let some of those walls down, but that was not easy to deal with either. Yeah, and you touched on being a military spouse and moving, and I went to this, like, veteran networking thing about, like, building your business and, you know, finding a job, and I was talking to other veterans, and then I was like, well, we're moving in two years, and they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm a military spouse, and even in a room of veterans, they didn't understand the challenge that I was facing as a military spouse where like not only did I transition out of the military, but then I had to continually restart and find, you know, a community, a network, you know, a job because I would move every few years. And so that was kind of a really eye-opening experience to be with veterans <laughs> explaining my situation. And they're like, what? And I was like, you guys don't understand. And so it was really hard to be in that room because I was like, no wonder my transition was so hard. My whole experience is so different than most veterans who leave the military. They don't, you know, they're not married to someone in the military and so they don't have to worry about moving all the time. And if they do move, it's usually their choice and not the military. So 
that's I you really touched on like how hard it is to like reinvent yourself and then the rank and the title and all the emotions and everything so much of that resonates with my story yeah and nobody talks about it and you know my my roommate from field training came and and we sat down and it was the first time and I'm almost I'm mad at myself in a bit because I was always kind of mama bear for everybody. Like I took care of everybody and made sure, you know, in ROTC, they called me mama Sue. You got to take care of everybody. You have to make sure everybody has everything, but I'm mad at myself for not reaching out to my girlfriends or my fellow air women. And because, you know, there were so many things that happened to us and we've touched briefly every, I don't know, I don't know very many women who got out of the military that didn't experience some sort of sexual harassment or sexual assault. And I think that there's so many misconceptions on that too, but it wasn't until just recently. And we went through field training in 2007 that her and I even opened up to each other that these situations occurred to us. And I'm thinking, you know, we have to, we have to talk to people. I didn't even tell my husband until maybe three years ago. And I think I was worried about his reaction. Because even on active duty, I had, I had witnesses to certain things. And because, you know, this situation, everybody, you know, it's like, okay, well, you weren't, you weren't raped. So is it really that bad? And those were the, that was, that was the feedback. And I'm like, okay, they're like, well, it's not really worth ruining somebody's career. You know, they're married and they have kids and you're just going to ruin everything. And I'm like, okay. And then I, in a few cases, I saw what happened to the women who said something. And I'm like, well, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I gotta stay away. And so I didn't know what my husband's reaction. Like, I think if he had said, well, it wasn't that bad, then that would have been detrimental. But instead he had the opposite reaction of like, oh my God, like that's terrible. And I'm so glad you got out. Like, I, I'm so glad you didn't stay in. Um, and then we had a deeper understanding of uh, also some of the things that you know, he's been through different experiences and I've been through different experiences. And then we both compartmentalize them. And now we're having to make sure that we let those things uh, come out and deal with them. But, you know, there's so many things that we don't share and we don't know about. I'm still learning things about the VA. My girlfriend was here telling me how much she was paying for health insurance every month. And I said, with your disability rating, you know, you qualify for full VA insurance. She had no idea. Nobody, nobody told her. And so these are things that I'm thinking, man, we have got to get better about educating one another and pulling people aside and, and just kind of not scaring anybody, but letting them know what could come up and then letting people know, I think their rights, you know, somebody outranks you, but they, you know, touch you inappropriately. You, are able to put them in their place in a certain way, even if they're your boss, however uncomfortable that is, but you have usually very young women, they're in these roles and you you have to give them maybe the support to do so. Yeah, and I mean, you, just talking about what we don't know about the VA, what we don't know about our rights, like all those things are things that are so complicated and some of them are taboo and people don't want to talk about them, but that's so important to talk about them because especially if something happens to you and then you don't talk about it, then it just festers inside of you and just, you know, makes it worse. And that's one of the things like we need to talk about these things. I just did a podcast interview on my experience of getting into the VA health system and doing my disability claim. And I was telling someone about it and he's like, why, why didn't you do this when you got out of the military? And I was like, I didn't know. And he's like, how did you not know? And I was like, well, I didn't think I had any disability. I didn't know what VA healthcare was or why it was important. And yeah. And so, but if you don't know and no one talks to you and just get thrown a piece of paper that says, read this and then and I was, and I was a military spouse. So I was like, I have TRICARE. Why would I use the VA? It doesn't make sense, but it's, that was wrong to think that I have TRICARE. Why would I use the VA? It's like, there's so many reasons why I should use the VA. And it's an earned benefit that, you know, I earned by serving in the military. So I should take advantage of it. But yeah. And I mean, mental health or 
sexual assault and military sexual trauma is something that people for a long time didn't talk about at all. It was just, like you said, you, if people spoke up, you watched what happened and you you thought, well, it's better I just keep my mouth shut because I don't want that to happen to me. And so. Yeah. And I even sat on a court martial for a cadet and sitting in that jury room, the differences of opinions from people. I, I mean, you know, you hear these things and you're like, how does everybody see this so differently? Like everybody in the room had a different opinion. And then, you know, there's the colonel who's like, well, I'm not sending anybody, sending anybody to jail for this. You know, like it wasn't a, enough of a punishable offense. And so then, you know, there's this whole justification of what women should put up with and what, you, you know, we're supposed to let go. But my, my friend said something so powerful because she said, and there was multiple occasions that these things occurred. This was not a one time, a two time, this, this was often. She said, I felt like it was my fault because these things consistently happened and it wasn't from the same person. It wasn't at the same base. And she said, I was the common denominator. So I thought it was something I was doing. And that, you know, brought a lot of things to light of there's this acceptance that this is what you can get away with. But then who determines if it was bad enough for any disciplinary action? And that's the scary part is it's subjective of, of what's going to happen. And then are you going to be labeled? Because even if they PCS you, somebody from that base is calling your last base. Hey, what can you tell me about her? Oh, you're from there. Oh yeah, I've got friends there. They're not going to tell you, but then they're going to tell everybody, steer clear of her, steer clear of her. You know, here's what's going to happen. And so then you go into a base where you, you have one person's version of a story. So yeah, you just keep your mouth shut. But same thing with the VA too. I didn't even know I, I could file anything with the VA. The TAP program, unfortunately, is not phenomenal. And I think anything that has government funding and doesn't have longevity and continuity is going to end up like that, where you're going to get that basic information. And um, then you're kind of left to navigate it, especially the day after you're out, you're out. You're not one of us. Right. Well, and I think a week long class when you've spent, you know, you spend six weeks the Air Force, you spend six weeks at boot camp learning how to be in the military. And it's not as simple as find a new job and get out of the military. Like there's so many emotions and different things that that's why people say transitioning is hard because we spend a week going through a training that is trying for one thing trying to cram like 10 different things into it in just one week when it should be you know three or four weeks long so that you could adequately take time to go over all the things and so instead of getting something that's detailed and really helpful you get like you know everything at the thirty thousand foot level which is like just overwhelming and so i think that's part of the problem too is the military tries to just like push us through and get check that box and it's like no they created chat because people were having trouble when they got out of the military but you know a week isn't enough i'm glad they have skillbridge now which allows you to you know work with the company and some veterans have worked i jennifer volbrecht she was on the podcast for episode 250 and then um, earlier and she talked about how she's using her company to partner with Skillbridge and take the veterans on and like teach them about what she did what she does and then she's going the extra step to make sure that they find a job because she can't hire everyone but she can make sure that they get this strong tra- transition out of the military and it's not just a one-week tap class it's you know three six months of working hands-on with a company learning about your, you know, someone who was a veteran who could be like, these are the skills that you have. This is what you need to say in an interview. And so I think that's really valuable. And so if you're transitioning, look into SkillBridge so that you can get a more hands-on, you know, opportunity. And hopefully, because a lot of times it is commander decision, but those are, those are really important because I mean, I, <laughs> I got, I got this job with, with instant teams and I'm so thankful to the founders who gave me a chance, but 
I, you know, there's, there's terms that would get thrown around. I'm like Googling them. Like, what does this mean? I have no clue. Like I knew what a CEO was, but then I'm like, what's the difference between a, a revenue officer and a financial officer? Like, aren't they one? Isn't no, they're completely separate. And what, okay. So what is the, you know, the difference between a CEO and a COO? And then you've got the VPs over here and then you've got all of these different functions and then the other people are using these terms and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to act like I know what they're talking about. And, 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 you know, the company I'm with now has a, a very distinct mission. And I, I have found that I do need to be with a company whose mission resonates with me because I, I was with the company for three years and then I left for a year. It's like, this is the only thing I know as, as far as being on the outside. I say being on the outside, like it's being out of prison or something, but um, this is the only thing I know, you know, as far as my career goes. And so I was like, I need to go broaden my horizons. And after about a year, um, you know, I stayed in contact with the CEO and um, she's one of the founders and just really a lot of respect for them. But it came down to about a year after I left, you know, are you interested in coming back? And I'm like, yes, I am. Absolutely. And it just feels, it feels right to be there. And so I think that's important too, is you're a part of this mission for so long and then you get out and you know you can't go sell cell phones unless you were like hands down passionate about mobile devices you know what i mean so it has to be something that you feel like you can put as much energy into or that's for me should you decide you know you have to know what what you're going to want but some people don't and so every time I find out, you know, one of our friends is transitioning, I'm like, okay, let's hop on some phone calls and, and letting them know, Hey, nobody told me I was going to feel this way. Even if it's your choice to get out and it makes sense at the time, nobody told, told me I was going to feel this way. And I wish somebody had, so I would know why I was feeling that way. And, and I could have maybe had a more um, logical approach to it. Instead of just thinking like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know, you know, why I feel like I almost can't function. All I wanted to do was sit at home with my kids and, and not do anything. And, and so um, it took a while to find myself again. And so many resources that I'm like, okay, here's, you know, you're getting out in a year. Okay, here's where I want you to go. I want you to go schedule calls on Veterati. I want you to go to ACP because they're going to give you a mentor for the next year and meet with these people. You have to let people help you. And I meet so many people here are like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to ask anybody for help. And I'm like, you're not asking anybody for help. They're offering it. So go and let them help you. Yeah. That's really funny. Cause I went to a conference and it was for women who are in an active duty, the Joint Women Leadership Symposium. And as a veteran, I was like, I have all this knowledge to share you to you. And they kept going to all the active duty people and asking them questions and talking to them. And I was like, you guys don't understand like what you're missing. I'm not saying I'm amazing. I'm just saying I have all this information. But because they were like so focused on the mission, they weren't you know, thinking about transition, they thought they got transition in the bag. I'm in the military. I can do this. And they didn't have the same kind of response towards me. And so it was really interesting to watch that happen and realize like there's this big disconnect between like people on active duty and then veterans. And I would say like veterans are like more than five years out because it takes like three to five years to find yourself after leaving the military. And finding all those resources and getting that knowledge. And so I think, yeah, yeah, your story really resonates with mine and I hope it's resonating with our audience. And we're about to run out of time, but I want to ask my last question, which is what advice would you give to young women who are considering military service? I would tell them to look for your first degree, second degree, third degree connections, because you know somebody who knows one of us. You know somebody who knows somebody who has been in the military. And, and you know, when, when you go talk to a recruiter or you go to ROTC, I would say reach out to, to, to us. Reach out to me. Go find me on LinkedIn. 
we are more than happy to let you know the options that are available to you that a recruiter might not. And, you know, recruiters are there. They have quotas to meet. They do. They're supposed to get two people a month and officer counts for two. And, but they also have career fields that have to be filled. And, and it all has to do with the governmental budget. So utilize people that you, one, can know what your options are going into the military, know what resources you can ask for and what resources to tap into as soon as you start you know, your job, and then keep us along for the ride. We all want to help. We all want to make it. I think that surprised me. I don't think I expected the veteran community to be so arms wide open. Absolutely, we're here to help you. I was in shock, but we're all here to help. And please, please, please utilize and, and listen to more than one person. You might find somebody who's a little salty. <laughs> so take that with a grain of salt. But, but definitely, please don't be afraid to approach anybody because um, anybody who has struggled and gone through something wants to help people to not have as hard of a time. Yeah, and that's why I created the Women of the Military Mentorship Program so that young women who are looking to join the military have someone to talk to. And, and when there's not people on my list, sometimes I reach out to people on LinkedIn and I've had people say, well, they're not on your official list. I'm like, it doesn't matter. They're a veteran. They'll help you. Like I reached out to them and they said they would help. And so you're right. The veteran community, their arms are wide open to help and we want to make sure you have the best experience. And there's so much about the military that everyone joining can't know. And so reach out to veterans and hear their stories and get their advice so that you can find the best fit for you and get as much information as you can. Yeah. Add me to your list. <laughs> okay. So I'll send you the link after the interview and I'll put it in the comments so that people can find it. Thank you so much for being brave and sharing your story and just for all the ways that your story resonated with me. Hopefully it resonated with everybody else as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for all you're doing.